The peace of Christ be with you. I have a spy over at Pete's, and they said about a third of the church is over there. A third of the church is in the narthex, and you're the chosen ones. As we gather here, let's take about three deep breaths to be settled into this house of prayer and held by the Holy Spirit. Friends, let us worship the living God. morning. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Gather in faith. Gather in friendship. Gather in hope. Receive us into the house of the grace of God. Gather in curiosity. Gather in wonder. Gather in desire. Gather in trust, gather in reverence, gather in expectancy. Speak a word of truth, a word of possibility, and a word of
You may be seated. I want to welcome you here to worship at Westminster. It is good to be here with you this morning. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. I'll remind you, sitting here in the middle aisle during our offering, if you take that pew book and sign it, pass it down, pass it back. It's a great way for you to learn the names of those sitting next to you. It's also a wonderful opportunity for us to engage with you, especially if you're visiting. I invite you to join me now in the community prayer printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. We wish that you would rain down on our land, O God, that you would come among us to extinguish the flames which have consumed us. We wish that you would rain down on our land, O God, that you would come among us to extinguish the flames with which we have consumed one another. We weep the brokenness of your world and pray for your coming kingdom. We weep at our role in the breaking and pray to be a part of a coming kingdom. We pray and wait for the way of heaven. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that we have Christ's example ever before us to give us guidance and hope and take heart that we are forgiven and we are invited to return to that example again and again and again. Thanks be to God. Amen. I now want to invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join Rob here at the front. Welcome, everybody. Tryptophan is worn off. Come on down. I don't get to do this very much, so it's very exciting for me to get to talk to you for a little bit. You know, my job isn't just to talk to the adults, but it's to talk to the children, too. And I know church can be, well... Um, can be sometimes a hard place for people who aren't quite grown up yet. Doing things maybe you're not used to doing and seeing things you're not used to seeing. So it's important to me that every time we're in here that uh, I teach you a little bit about what it is we do here. And you should also always feel permission to ask questions at an appropriate time about why it is we do certain things that we do. Okay, so today I want to teach you a little bit about what I'm wearing because you don't see people dressed like this out very much, I bet, right? Uh, this, this robe here, anybody know what uh, people who wear these tend to do in our society? What does it look like? Anybody have an idea? Raise your hand if you have an idea. Anybody? Ben? Well, preacher is one, but who else? Is, I should have said that. Do you know? Ever, ever watch... Really, really high-level TV like Judge Judy or, um, but lawyers or judges wear outfits like this sometimes. Isn't that funny that we wear the same thing as judges do? You know why that was? One of the founders of our church, and by our church I don't mean Westminster, but the kind of church we are, 
was a guy named John Calvin. And you know what his job was? He was a lawyer, and lawyers wore black robes. And he started that tradition that to this day, many of us, at least some of the time, follow. Isn't that interesting? And it just so happens that these robes are worn in some places when people go to school, and we like to honor the mind at churches like this. But I actually want to teach about another thing. You may notice we wear these. Bethany's got one on, and I've got one on every week. And sometimes they change colors. And actually, the colors tell you what time of year it is. So maybe those of you in Sacred Stories will do a whole lesson one time about the different colors of the year. I can tell you're excited. Is it today? Oh, how awesome is that? You're going to find out if you didn't listen. Um, uh, rats, I understand. Um, this is called a stole. It's not because I took it without paying for it. It's a different spelling. But this actually reminds us of one of the ways that the tabernacle and the temple used to be decorated. They had special kinds of decorations. And in the Bible, there's a passage when it talks about priests, and they are to decorate themselves the same way the temple was decorated. The temple was where they believed God lived. And it's to remind us when we get up here and teach people about God that we are to teach in a way that reflects how God wants us to live. So every time you see this, you can think, oh, Bethany's trying to remember that she's supposed to teach the way God wants us to be as if God lives in her. And you can say, oh, Rob's trying to remind himself that God lives in him. And when we come together to live like Jesus taught us, it's as if God lives among us because God does. Now, before we go, we'll say a prayer. And then I want you to walk, not run, to our teachers out there. You'll know it's time to go when we start singing. Those of you in sacred stories, I want you to practice your special kind of walking on the way out. And those of you, not now, Liam, and those of you who are older, you can be a good example by walking slowly. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is so that way the teachers can stay in the front of the line and people who are new know who to follow, and so nobody trips, okay? Can you be a helper in that? Can you be a helper in that? Awesome. That's a maybe. Can you be a helper in that? Awesome. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for teaching us about you and about Jesus. Give us good questions to ask about church so that we might learn more every day. Amen. Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the love of God surround you everywhere, everywhere you may go. All right, having survived that. One of the ways that we take care of our community is we share what's going on in our lives so that we can... Hold one another in prayer throughout the week, not just on Sundays when we're together. So if you have a joy or a concern or something that's pressing on you that you'd like to lift up to the community, just raise your hand and try to project when called on. I'll repeat a little bit of what you say. Yeah, please, Lyndon. Yeah.
thank you, Lyndon. Lyndon, on behalf of Trisha, expresses her gratitude for all your care and support you've shown on the occasion of Rod's death um, just, just days ago. And uh, we join still in prayer for you, Trisha, and for your family. And I will say, if I can say a little more, in the first service, when you were prayed for, I was thinking of these beautiful cushions you all are sitting on uh, that the Farrell family donated to this church. And uh, as I thought of that, uh, a smiling image of Rod came to my head of him looking at us today and um, happy that we are here to worship God, the God he loves so much. And so I will think of him often when I think of us together in this space. Others. Yeah, Peter. Thank you, Peter. Peter has kept us posted about uh, friends from College of Evelyn's, and uh, one has died, and the other is facing some serious uh, health challenges as well as in, in hospice. Please. My mother and I have a Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Karen. Joining us for worship and singing to boot. Uh, many of you have been wondering about Carolyn Gray. Carolyn Gray had a heart incident last week and went in and had a procedure, and it went well, and she is doing well. But we certainly hold her and Doug and their family in prayer. Others? Well, let's join together in quiet. And feel in this time the ability to lift up to God whatever you need to lift up. Perhaps prayers for whom words have yet to be formed. Perhaps things too delicate or raw to share aloud. We trust these things, Holy One to your care and to your tending. And we ask that you bind us together in your loving arms and in your spirit, that you would join us as one people as we join now in your one prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our first reading today is from Psalm 132. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. Lord, remember in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. We heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jar. Let us go to this dwelling, to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Rise up, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your faithful shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which the Lord will not turn back. One of the sons of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees that I shall teach them, their sons also forevermore shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. The Lord has desired it for habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will reside, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless its provisions. I will satisfy its poor with bread. Its priests I will clothe with salvation, and its faithful will shout for joy. There I will cause a horn to sprout up for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. His enemies I will clothe with disgrace, but on him his crown will gleam. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Word of grace and peace as well to people who may may be watching at home on Facebook Live or those who will be listening later on the podcast. Sometimes we have to be separated by distance, but we don't always have to be separated in the spirit, and so we are one body beyond even these walls. A word of thanks before I continue. I suppose I could have done this in joys and concerns. Got a call yesterday that all the heating vents were filled with water and rain was leaking in the roof and all parts of the building and got here and there was Jesus diligently working away, replacing a pump and toweling things down. And so as you see him on your way out today, please say thank you to him for all that he does. And thank one another as well for all the generosity that you've pledged this past year to repair and upgrade this facility as this weekend is a reminder of it has not come a moment too soon and your generosity has come in time. So thanks to you. The second reading is from John's Gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 33 to 37. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to the gathered people of God this morning. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I invite you to take a moment and call into your mind's eye a really peaceful place, the most peaceful place perhaps you've ever been. Close your eyes if it helps. Might be a place from your childhood. Quite likely a place in nature. Some would use the words, a place where God feels close. Hold that in your mind's eye. The Celts referred to places such as these as thin places. For them, there were places in the world where the, the boundary between heaven and earth was ever so thin, a paper-thin membrane. And God and the kingdom of heaven was so close you could see it, you could experience it. It can be helpful not only to literally go to thin places from time to time to restore and taste heaven, but to go there in your mind's eye in times of prayer to imagine yourself there, perhaps to imagine meeting Jesus there or God or some other embodiment of the divine. Don't script it. Don't, don't overthink it. Allow it to simply unfold and see what takes place and listen and look. That could be particularly helpful when you're somewhere you don't want to be, such as the dentist, or perhaps penned in your own home for about 10 days when the smoke is so thick outside you can't leave. It can be a way of recovering an expansiveness when you feel claustrophobic, as I certainly did the past couple of weeks those awful fires. The heroic stories from those fires are mounting as they do in such times of tragedy when you see the best of people come out to help one another. You probably have your favorite stories. I have some of mine. Being the father of a small child, I think of the bus driver whose kids couldn't get home and so he just drove them all to safety in his bus. Or I think of the woman in her 90s who couldn't get out of her home, and so her garbage man came by and put her in the front of the truck. <laughs> There's this 
really charming video as a, as a cat lover of a, a, a firefighter who is uh, outside on a scene and there's still steam or smoke in the air and he's got a cat perched on his shoulder that he's rescued and it just nuzzles him the whole time as they do a tour of the scene, thankful to be saved. One in particular sticks with me. There's a young man uh, standing on the street out in front of what was his house that has been ruined now, ravaged by fire. And he's recounting what the firefighters did when they came. They said, you have to stay outside, but we'll go in and we'll get anything out we can for you. And one of the things they saw when they were inside were ultrasound pictures on the fridge. And they thought enough to stop and to take those because they knew that the family would want pictures of their unborn child. How kind. In the midst of that kind of chaos, to be that thoughtful, to rescue that for that family who had now lost everything except that thing. So we can feel nourished and bolstered by the human spirit when we see these awful things happen and then these people do wonderful things. And at the same time, all the stories of heroism and kindness for me don't erase bigger questions being raised by this supposed new normal that we seem to be inhabiting. That thought came to me before the Trump administration released its rather dire climate report on Friday. It seems to me it's not enough just to take care of the survivors, though of course we should, and to rebuild, though of course we want to. But we also have to rethink rethink our life together and what it means to be in better relationship with the world around us and literally the created world, even as we try to build a safer place to live. And that's a question too big for us to solve today. The question for us as a church is, what is the faithful word that the church can offer the world in the midst of an experience such as this? What relevant does the church have to say Thoughts and prayers don't do it anymore. Right or wrong, that refrain has been received quite cynically often because it's offered in the face of things that were preventable. And I don't think paradise burned because of lack of prayer. So the church must have something else to say. Well, if you turn to the church calendar, it's Christ the King Sunday. And I make that gesture not out of mockery, but out of recognition that sometimes the language of the church doesn't resonate. I mean, who clings to the notion of Christ the King? It's just not the language that we tend to use in communities such as this. Is that the word for today? I suppose it must be. We tend to think differently. Now, I understand why one would want to turn to the notion of a king, an all-powerful figure, someone who could come in and just make things right by declaring it so. That's attractive when things feel to be spinning out of control. And yet, if you know history or if you know Scripture, you'll know that any time that people clamor for an all-powerful figure to make it right, it inevitably turns out pretty poorly for the people. Whether it starts this way or ends this way, the people learn the hard way. 
that those in ultimate power often don't have the best interests of the people at heart. And so it's tempting, but it ultimately doesn't necessarily work. And so I was tempted, I must admit, to skip over Christ the King Sunday. I've done it before, none of you cared. (laughs) Or at least enough to say something. You're also a polite people. And I was ready to do so until I started, I was reading a book by N.T. Wright called Simply Jesus. And early in it, he has this line that piqued my interest, and it's simply this, he wasn't the king they expected. That got my attention. And this is the fuller quote. Jesus wasn't like the monarchs of old, who sat on their jeweled and ivory thrones, dispensing their justice and wisdom. Nor was he the great warrior king some had wanted. He didn't raise an army and ride into battle at its head. He was riding on a donkey. And he was weeping. That's the most interesting part to me. He was weeping. Weeping for the dream that had to die. Weeping for the sword that would pierce his supporters to the soul. Weeping for the kingdom that wasn't coming. As well as for the kingdom that was. Weeping. Weeping for what was and for what wasn't. Now that's someone to whom I can definitely relate. Haven't we all had experiences in which it, it just felt like this isn't the way it was supposed to be? In fact, it can't be this because this isn't how it was supposed to work out. That's the reality for which Jesus weeps. And Jesus meets us in our weeping there. I was at an event of the Marin Interfaith Council a couple of years ago, and one of the Buddhists was offering a, a teaching, and she said, as the Buddhists do so well, so simply and well, that one of the, one of the major tasks of life is to move from the reality that you wish was to the one that actually is. And so often we remain attached to the world that we, that we had hoped for, that we're unable to function in the world that actually is. And if you don't make that traverse, as great and as painful as that distance may be, you end up going through world, this is now the world, uh, with my metaphor, uh, with a map that's lovely but bears no resemblance to the landscape. And so you have to let go And you have to learn to inhabit the world that actually is. Even if you keep in your mind's eye a vision for how it could be. I think that that's what Christ embodies. I think he weeps over that distance. But he inhabits one while holding on to an image of the other. We have a crying Jesus. Not one who calls himself king. He doesn't call himself king. It's Pilate who does that. Pilate asks, are you a king? Jesus doesn't even say yes. He says, you say so. These other people say so. He says, I came for this purpose, to testify to the truth. 
And all those who belong to the truth, listen to my voice. What an interesting vocational choice Jesus has made. He's not chosen king. He's chosen witness. He's not most interested in power. He's most interested in truth. That's where his attention, that's where his energy is focused. Not something that only one can do, but something everyone can do. And the idea of, of witnessing is a layered concept, rich, I think, for those who wish to follow Jesus. I mean, on the one hand, it's quite simple. It's keeping your eyes open, which is harder to do than it is to say, in committing to seeing what's actually going on around you and within you, having the courage to look and to see what's happening, keeping your eyes open. And secondly, as Jesus embodied so well, it's also keeping the eyes of your soul on how it could be, being able to imagine a world where it was different. And if you have trouble in your own imagination, just look at his teachings. He gave us all kinds of images in his parables and in his stories and in his counters with people in the Sermon on the Mount. He lays out all kinds of visions, just like any good prophet does, of how it could be. And third, he bears witness to the distance between the two and how you make the journey. He is able to articulate what is really happening what could be instead, and how together we could get from there to there. It's particularly important, perhaps, for those of privilege or power to heed this vocation. Another way of saying that is those folks, maybe some of us are those folks, will be listened to in ways that others won't be listened to, and so they are called upon to witness at maybe even a greater level. This hit home for me uh, was described in a tangible way by a, a colleague and friend of mine who described giving a sermon series where he simply re-preached sermons generations of pastors in his family had given. He came from a long list or uh, line of pastors in his family. And when it came time to preach a sermon from his father, it coincided with some uh, civil rights theme. I think it was maybe the anniversary of Selma, though I don't recall exactly. And his father had been there and certainly had witnessed uh, for justice during the civil rights movement as a pastor. And he had decided ahead of time that he wasn't going to change a word of it, that he was just going to preach it verbatim as it was written, uh, out of context, rather than to try, to try to modernize it. And it seemed like a good idea until he started and then he grew increasingly uncomfortable because of the way some of the words have changed. So it was uncomfortable for him to refer to who we now refer to as African-Americans as Negroes and other words such as that, even though he'd warned the congregation. And it became doubly uncomfortable when the only African-American member who was regular but not frequent in their attendance was there that day. And he started to wonder, how are they experiencing my use of those words? And then on a deeper level, he started to wonder, and how is he experiencing this uh, whole thing at all? White person uh, talking about something that so dramatically affected another population. Was it, did he 
feel like this was patronizing or, or self-congratulatory. or He just became increasingly anxious as he preached it. But he, he was committed, so he finished. Sure enough, during communion time, when the members came forward, the African-American man came and whispered in his ear, I'd like to address the congregation. And to his, well, to his credit for saying that, and then to the pastor's credit, he said, sure. And during the announcement time, he started to talk to the people there. And through tears, he thanked the pastor for that moment and went on to say that actually his father, not that he'd literally known him, but that his father was a hero of sorts to him. Because he said, for a white man in that era, in that role, to stand up and say the things he had said was as if a thousand African Americans were speaking. Now, we can recognize in that moment that's not the way it should have been. It's not the way it should be, where everybody should be listened to, particularly the people who are hurting the most, but it's not the way it was. And he recognized that distance. And he honored how that person inhabited the reality that nobody wished, well, that some people wished was, but those who had their eyes set on the kingdom of heaven wished wasn't. And so it's incumbent upon us to likewise be witnesses, not something that a few can do, but all of us can do. It's an inclusive calling. It's okay to proclaim that Christ is king, if it reminds us where our ultimate allegiance is above all else. It's good even to proclaim Jesus Christ as king, if it gives us a place to hang our hopes when sometimes it's so hard to maintain them. It's okay to proclaim that Christ is king so long as we remember the ways in which Jesus Christ redefined the role from a dictator an authoritarian to a servant leader. It's not okay to proclaim Jesus Christ is king if it just leads us to passively watch and wait and let the world do what the world will. No, it should cause us to act, to, to not take over, not to speak in a way that speaks for another person's experience or... or uh, takes advantage of them for your own gain, but speaking in a way that makes room for other voices to be heard that aren't typically heard. It's a vocation that everyone can live into wherever they are, and that's the difference of a Christian vocation. The Pope says it well. He says, The future of humankind isn't exclusively in the hands of politicians, of great leaders, of big companies, Yes, they do hold an enormous responsibility. But the future is most of all in the hands of those people who recognize the other as a you and themselves as part of an us. His talk there is entitled, Why the Only Future Worth Building, notice it's a collective activity, building together, includes everyone. Has to include everyone. In the Catholic Church, is the perfect example, is it not, of an institution that's struggling with what power can do when it's concentrated at the top. Wrestling, hopefully by the grace of God successfully, to flip that upside down, which is to say right side up. 
to understand what Jesus meant when he talked about a kingdom. And N.T. Wright, again, talks about this in an interesting way as he describes the disciples after Jesus was gone. Rather than saying that God only dwelt in the temple, or even that God only dwelt in Christ, right, rec recognizes how the early disciples understood that in their way of being in the world, in their way of being with one another, that God dwelt in them. And so they began to see themselves as a living, breathing temple of God. And wherever they went, there God's presence dwelt. In fact, this is what he says exactly. He says, where they are, they being the, disciple, the disciples, heaven and earth are joined. Jesus is with them. His life is at work in and through them. Another way of saying that is the whole of the Christian vocation is to be in such a way is that the world recognizes in you a thin place where you've rubbed thin the layer between heaven and earth by your conduct and your speech and your listening and your watching, the way you are with each other, the way you are with yourself, and the way you are with the world around. Think about that. That in the way we are, as flawed as we may be, we have the opportunity to be for others and ourselves what that place you imagined at the beginning of the sermon was for you. Where there is only peace, where there is no want, where God feels near. Now imagine that and open your eyes and keep them open. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. So next Sunday begins the first Sunday in Advent. Tends to be a slightly busy time in the life of a church. We have lots going on. I encourage you to take a look at the bulletin and all that is happening. I want to highlight just a few things for you. First, Rob, for a while now, has been teaching a Bible study on the Gospel of Mark the first and third Tuesday evenings of each month. However, since last Tuesday was Thanksgiving week, we postponed it till this Tuesday. So if you've been wanting to check that out or are a regular attender, Bible study this Tuesday at 6. Um, a few things coming up that uh, your RSVP is requested. First, this coming Saturday evening, the middle school and high school youth are hosting a parents' night out. If you have younger children, bring them here. They'll be wildly entertained, and you get a couple hours to yourself. Um, let Jeff know if your child would be interested in participating in that. Our annual Women of Westminster Christmas Luncheon is next Wednesday, December 5th. The bulletin says that your RSVP is due today. That would be great. However, you do have another week if you're still trying to decide if you want to go to that. You can let Susan Burke out know by next, next Sunday. Our Spiritual Life Commission is going to be hosting a special evening Advent series, Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. starting next Tuesday. This is a great time to give a gift to yourself. It's a very busy time of year. Great to have an hour um, to, to give to yourself. The first in that series is a yoga class led by Erin Elliott. Yoga for everybody, she says. She's been doing this on Monday mornings. If that hasn't been good for you, try it out next Tuesday. Erin also requests you RSVP just so she can make sure she has enough mats and everything for everyone. Couple more. Uh, out in the narthex after worship are Advent booklets. Now, I've already heard a couple people pick this up and say, oh, this is for kids, and put it back. On the surface, it does look like maybe it's for kids, but if not this time of year, when can you be in touch with your childlike joy? So we are encouraging people of all ages to grab one of those booklets. Um, there are some kid-like activities like decorating ornaments and stuff, um, but there are also some wonderful devotionals for the week, some activities even to do each day of Advent. So if you're interested in that, pick one up. Uh, we are offering poinsettias for sale, poinsettia flowers. If you want to buy one in honor or in memory of someone, some people from our worship commission will be out there with more information about that. I promise I'm almost done. A joy! Last two weeks, we had our Christmas fair supporting various nonprofit organizations. And just in those two Sundays of the Christmas fair happening, we raised over $11,000 for various nonprofit organizations. <laughs> which is just a wonderful. So thank you for your generosity, especially thank our outreach commission for their support of that Christmas fair. Um, finally, when our kids leave the sanctuary to go to Sunday school, if you're visiting, you may or may not know where they actually went. Um, if you have a child in second grade or younger, we do ask that you go pick them up. They're all the way across the playground in our preschool building. They'll be waiting for you there. All right, that's enough from me. Let's sing together. I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn, 773.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and every day. Amen.